This is a singlehood lesson two, and we are calling this from interested to courtship. Now, last time we did a pretty good job of debunking the whole dating thing, and we'll do that some more, but there is an appropriate time to court. I make a big distinction between dating and courtship, and we'll explain that later. For the most part, I say, my, my rule of thumb is you date for fun, you court because you're ready to get married. In our society, folks just date and date and date, and they, they, they might be dating three guys at once or two girls at once, or they got two honeys on the line, one they're Facebooking and one they're actually seeing. That is not God, that's carnal and sinful. We, won't, we don't want to say you never date because that's how you do get to know somebody and that is how you realize this is who I want to marry and this is their issues and wow, look at these issues coming out of me. You, you have to be able to spend time around each other dating, but we are totally and completely against dating just for fun. We're totally and completely against dating because you're needy and you don't like to be alone. And there's nothing wrong with dating as long as the heart is right. Most American Christians don't have a clue how to make it right, and so they, they should just avoid it altogether so they can grow up. You can date, and because your heart's wrong, it's totally wrong. You're dating because you're afraid you'll never be married, and, oh Lord, how am I ever going to know unless I get out there and put myself out there? That's a total floozy philosophy. You gotta, and then you listen to your carnal friends that have slept around. You've got to put yourself out there. No, you don't. No, the Bible says protect yourself, keep yourself. The Bible says don't run with dirty people. So we want to look at this from interested to courtship. How, how do we go about this? The Bible gives us a very clear blueprint for how we meet our spouse, where we meet our spouse. The fact that I can prove what I'm about to teach you from four Bible stories gives me solid doctrine. Now, uh, we might have folks that listen to this that you didn't meet your spouse this way. Don't worry. <laughs> What's past is past. God worked it out. What we're doing is raising a higher standard. The revelations of God are progressive. And we might have bumped around and found some things 50 years ago, but we shouldn't allow this generation to bump around like we did. They don't have the time that we had. God is always getting things more advanced, more slick, more advanced, more slick, more streamlined. So this is a very high standard. Now, if you don't want the standard, that's fine. You can have a miserable life. But I promise you, you do what this standard is, according to these verses, you, you're going to meet Mr. God, Miss, Miss God, as we mean Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, but from God. And you can have a much better, much more beautiful marriage than if you just trusted in yourself and followed the American blueprint. I would warn you, do not listen to anything America has to say in 2012, 2013 concerning dating. Because they'll tell you have sex when you're 14 to 15. The fact that we have high schools that pass out condoms and the fact that our government's passing laws that teenagers can have abortions and their parents don't have to be informed. Our country knows nothing about chastity. It knows nothing about integrity. knows nothing about sexual purity. And we definitely know nothing about uh, relationships. And that's evident because our divorce rate is 50%. So let's jump into this lesson here. Lesson two, from interested to courtship. Who can I be interested in? Because, now we're going to answer some questions here, and we have to kind of decipher how we are made up, both men and women. Because man is a visually wired creation, and we men understand that, yeah, that, that's why they have Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazines, and they don't have guys and Speedos in that thing. Because girls don't like that thing, and neither do guys. But they do have women in, in swimsuits because guys like that, that. Our eyes are visually wired. Because men have visually wired creations, and with a heart of daydreams, 
He is open to many distractions and evil lures. So men, we got to be careful we don't just chase anything that's pretty. And because women, on the other hand, often fall for the first man that shows them any semblance of kindness. We got to be careful, ladies, that just because somebody makes you feel important doesn't mean you fall in for that. Men in this day and age, if they're not in the house of God, don't trust them with a 30-foot pole with a scope and a sniper rifle on it. Men in this day and age are perverse. They are a product of our culture. That's why we are strict about keeping our singles protected in the house of God. When you start looking outside the church, you're instantly in trouble. We work hard enough to keep folks in the church clean. You go falling for folks outside the church. They're heathen. They're Gentile. They're pagan. They're Philistine. And they don't know your God. They don't like your God. They don't understand you because of your God. And they can talk you out of your God. They did with Samson. Because of these things, we have to watch out and study these lessons and study the Word. Because of this, men often follow after the pretty Philistine just as Samson did to his own destruction. So we don't chase women just because they're pretty. The Bible is very strict as to whom you as a Christian can even be interested in as, as a potential spouse. If they're, I, I'll go ahead and throw it out there now. If they're not in the house of God, off limits. If they're not serving in the house of God, which is what we're going to start to see, they're off limits. The Lord is very strict. You appreciate doctors having high standards. You appreciate your automobile manufacturer having high standards. You really like it if you fly. You're appreciative that GE or Rolls-Royce, whoever made those engines, they have high tolerances and high standards. You're appreciative Apple computer makes a nice laptop, a nice iPod, a nice iPhone. Just think, what would airplanes and doctors be like if they had your standard for dating? If your standard for dating was equated to their tolerances for engine design or wing design or cell phone design, Whoa, you'd be dropping calls left and right. Your, your plane, your wings would fall off. Your doctor would say, whoops, I nicked an artery. Or he might get in there and just start dancing or something with scalpels in his hand while he's got you laid open. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Everything succeeds better when it has a high standard, a high tolerance. The Bible's very strict. We do not endorse casual dating in this ministry. There is, a, there is far too much at risk for you to cat around or play the field. With the, with the Bible's help, you can fine-tune and even greatly raise your standards and eliminate many potential distractions. And we, we looked at some of those with the previous lesson. Are you ready to be married? No? Then you shouldn't be dating. Do you have a job and you can support her? No? You shouldn't be married or even be interested. There's no reason to date. I, I, really... Not that there's a carte blanche blanket statement, but even in college, you have to be careful in dating. Even though you're getting ready to be in the real world, you have to very carefully guard your heart because college is a season to come into your own as a Christian. It's a season to learn how to study. It's a season to be educated. It's a season where your finances are tight anyway. It's a season to develop your Christian walk. There's probably not ever a more hostile time to your Christian faith in the university. Once you get out of the university, you control your settings. At the university, you can't. So for that reason, I'm not against everybody dating in college or courting. And we have uh, one or two couples right now in our church that are, that, are church, that are college age, and they're courting. One couple's engaged. The other, I know that you, know, you can just see that they, they, they have the grace of God on them. And they're not goofy. But that, that's not for everybody. You have to be very careful. There are so many distractions at the university level. There's definitely, I don't think any high school is mature enough to date. 
I'm totally 100% against high schoolers dating. They don't have a clue. They're still popping zits, and they can't even obey mom with the cell phone and Facebook. How can you even know what love is? You don't. So I'm totally against it at the high school level. At the college level, you got to be a lot more careful. Now, Brett and Bobby Scudder, our missionaries in Uganda, they courted in college, and they did it right. They, are not, they weren't goofy, though. They never were. And many of our couples that are married in the church today with kids, they courted in college and did it successful. So we're not saying college students shouldn't, but it's kind of a, you got to let the Spirit of God direct this thing. Too much of what we try to do as Americans, we do because it's our cultural norm. The way Americans do it is laughable to Africans. It's laughable to Middle Easterners. It's laughable to Asians. Some places in Africa, you don't leave home until you're married. So in the Middle East, even men don't leave home until they have a wife. They stay at home. Some of the stuff we think we have to do is because America tells us. We ought to be letting God tell us. So we're, we're setting up these rules to eliminate potential distractions because as we proved yesterday, your singlehood is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given you because it's a time to focus on you. And once you're married, you'll never have that time again. And once you're married, you've got to work on being a husband, not just working on being a Christian. Then you have kids. You've got to work on managing a home, managing a career. There's all these things, and you no longer get to focus intensely on you. And you need that time as a single to fix you. Let us see where we should begin to look for a potential spouse and what qualities they should have. So in the beginning, the best place to start is in the book of beginnings because the book of beginnings sets forth patterns of God's original divine will. God invented marriage. We're not against marriage. But what we're trying to do is avoid pitfalls. Did you know if you don't date, you won't be tempted to have sex? Single people, they have lust issues, but it doesn't get them pregnant. <laughs> Single people have lust issues, but it doesn't get them losing their virginity. They might have to deal with pornography or other lust issues, but praise God they're keeping their body pure. So a lot of this stuff, you can eliminate a lot of heartache. Do not listen to what America says about relationships, and do not watch, especially if you're a girl, don't watch romantic comedies. There's nothing necessarily wrong with romantic comedy, but if that puts your heart in sin, you shouldn't watch it. I could watch a romantic comedy and I'm okay with God. But you could be a needy young woman, watch romantic comedy and it throws you out of orbit. And you went from having a wonderful content walk with God to, I don't have a man and I just want to be loved. I just want. And God says, come on, girl. What? Before you watched that, you were perfectly stable. You could probably watch a kung fu movie and it'd be fine. I watch a kung fu movie, I want to go kill somebody. And for me, not saying that this is the case it used to be, I, I couldn't watch kung fu movies because they put things in me that I didn't need. I can watch romantic comedy. I say, dumb, dumb, predictable, cliche. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. They made a problem up just to have some kind of problem to solve. And then they resolve it in time for the date. Stupid. And you're just, your heart melts. and It's all buttery like butter on popcorn and M&Ms in your pocket. And you just love it. And it throws you out of orbit with Jesus Christ. Dating messes with emotions that you need to reserve for marriage and ends up giving yourself away. Reverend Trudy Blunt, she was sharing with us, she read this book about the effects of sex on the human body. And they have proven now with research that there, is, there are chemicals that are released in your brain when you engage in sex. 
And there's, just like they've proven in animals that there's a bonding thing that goes on. Of course, we already knew this spiritually, but they've proven it biologically and chemically that when you have sex with someone, you bond, your mind bonds with them chemically. And we, we call it giving your heart away. But they've proven it biochemically now. And that's why when you start to sleep around a lot, it totally throws your mind off whack and your heart is calloused and hardened. But the thing is, had you stayed single, had you had a relationship with Jesus, you'd have never been put in that situation. You might have had other issues to deal with, and I, we know where I'm hinting at here, but at least you would have kept yourself pure. God designed one man, one woman for life. That's the perfect will of God. All right? Dating puts all that at risk. So we're going to raise a very high standard here. Most Christians in this country will not like the standard, but I've got too much Bible here to prove it. You've got to be willing to say right now in your heart, Lord, I'm open to your standard. I trust you. I may not like it. My flesh may not like it. My emotions may not like it, but I trust your standard that I'm about to be taught out of the Bible. Okay? We should look at the model the Lord set forth in the beginning. Here is the key to how and when a Christian single will find a spouse in the will of God. Genesis chapter 2, I have several verses linked together, 8, 15, 18, 22, and 23. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. I'm underlining major points we're going to bring out. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man made he a woman and brought her, he, God, brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right, so these next nine points are points I've taken from those verses. So point number one, we're asking the question or we're answering and explaining how and when and where a Christian single will find a mate. Point number one, Adam was formed by God. So singles, you must allow God to form you. That's what singlehood is for. Adam was single. We don't know for how long. It could have been a thousand years. We have no idea how long Adam was single for. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could, he had to name all the animals first. How long does that take? How many species of animals are there? But even in that, and I like this aspect, God was showing Adam his perfect will. Male goat, she goat. Male badger, she badger. Male whale, she whale. Male giraffe, she giraffe. And he's calling them. And everything he named them, God honored that. And Adam began to realize, wait a minute, everybody has a counterpart but me. God was forming him. God had a daily walk with him, and he was busy being formed by God. That's what your singlehood is all for. Many Christian singles want to jump the formation part of their life and get into a relationship, and that will produce nothing but deformation. It'll deform you. You're supposed to be over here allowing God to make you. If all your time is spent with someone of the opposite sex, they will make you. And they will never make you what God wants you to be. And the thing is, especially with women, you'll always change who you are for Him. You should be changing who you are for Him, the Lord Jesus. And once that's solidified in you, the new Him who God brought to you, He won't change you into anything but what God has already made Him into. So point number one, rule number one, let God form you. 
And until you're finished being formed, you're not ready. Very few people can, through college, as I've experienced as a pastor watching folks uh, for 15, 18 years, they can, can they handle courtship through college? Very few couples can. There has to be a special grace on them. Brett and Bobby Scudder were one of the few I ever saw. So another family friend of mine uh, down in Alabama, I went to college with them together. They dated all through college. They kept themselves clean. They never touched each other. They never kissed each other. And they ran with Jesus together. Today, they're one of the most stable families I know. Beautiful kids. They serve in their church in Birmingham. And they're an awesome inspiration. But I didn't see many like that. Point number two. Adam was busy working in the garden. So from that we derive, you must be busy working in the garden. That's the local church, the kingdom. You'll find your spouse in God's garden, not the beer garden. I am very concerned when you meet your spouse in the classroom. I'm concerned when you meet your class on the sports team. I'm concerned when you meet your spouse at the fitness center. What were you drawn to? Don't tell me you saw Jesus in her. You saw that sports bra. Don't tell me you saw Christ in him. You saw those biceps. In the beginning, Adam was busy working for God in his garden. And that's where God brought his wife to. I met my wife serving God. Lester Sumrall met his wife out in the mission field. On and on and on it goes. Billy Graham met his wife at Bible college. And she didn't want to marry him. She wanted to go be a missionary. And she didn't think Billy Graham was, was mature enough or seasoned enough or godly enough. And she wouldn't give him the time of day. <laughs> this is the biblical example we see. You'll find your spouse in God's garden. You don't want to find them anywhere else because if you're busy working God's garden and that's your life, you want to make sure she was busy serving God in the garden too because that's going to be your life together. I have seen too many Christians meet in the house of God and they weren't busy serving and when they got married or the new girl comes in they get married after they get married they're in church for six months they disappear because the garden of God was not important to them the house of God the church the ministry the evangelistic outreach the mission field now, you, you want to be equally yoked and if the house of God is important to you then you go looking for her in the house of God just because she was raised in church doesn't mean she's good enough for you just because his daddy's a preacher don't mean he's good enough for you. Adam, point number three, Adam had a job in the garden. You should have a job in the garden. I wouldn't court or be interested in any opposite sex that is not serving in a local church. We train you to serve in the local church. That's the biggest part of your, that's a huge, not the biggest, but a huge part of your Christian walk is serving in the local church. That's making you a servant. Why would you be interested in someone that doesn't serve in the local house? They'll only pull you away. Like Samson's Delilah. Oh, she just wooed him out of the will of God. She wooed him to his death. And she knew what she was doing. You should have a job in the garden. I, one of the things I loved about my wife is that when I met her, she was in every service at Calvary Temple Assembly of God. She was active in the, the Bible studies. She was active in the helps ministry. She was working at a pregnancy crisis center in the inner city. She was helping teenage girls who got gotten pregnant not have abortions. She loved the kingdom of God. And that, I, I saw that in her. I said, oh, baby, that's fine. That's, that's what I'm all about. This girl chases God, maybe a different way than I chase God, but she chases God like I do. That's what I need. I don't need some pretty girl who's not interested in God. I want a foxy mama who loves God as much as I do. 
And don't worry, God has good-looking people for you. You don't have to worry about marrying somebody ugly. God makes them all pretty when they're saved. Amen. Plus, you don't want to be married to somebody good-looking that hates God. It looks isn't all there is to it. Point number four, God took note of man that he needed help in keeping the garden. So from that, I derive this one's very offensive and very high. Are you busy for God and need help working in God's kingdom? If you're not busy working in God's kingdom, you don't need a help meet. And if you don't need a help meet, then you're not ready to be married. You're not mature enough as a Christian. I, I have kind of a pseudo doctrine that unless you're serving in the house of God, working for God, you don't need help. My wife helps me do everything I do. Loneliness is not a reason to get married. And most folks will get married because they're afraid of being alone. God's not big enough to make, to fill your day, to fill your heart. I have this pseudo doctrine. I want to preach it dogmatically, but from what I see in the garden, he needed a helper in serving God. And if you're not actively serving God, you don't need a helper. You need to first learn to serve God. And then you get to a place where you say, Lord, I could serve you better if you'd give me some help. And the Lord brings her along. The Lord, Lord, I, I really feel like I could do more. Lord, give me, Father, I, I should be helping someone. And the Lord brings you into a man's life. That's what we see from the book of beginnings. God took note of man, point number four again, that he needed help in the garden. Are you busy for God and do you need help working in God's kingdom? I don't think I could pastor without my wife. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do ministry without my wife. Most of these preachers I talk to, when we talk about, we hear about somebody dies or somebody loses their spouse. They'd say, I wouldn't want to go on without her. Many men of God go home very quickly after their wife does. Many wives can live on without their husband for many years. But many men of God, in fact, I'm amazed that the Reverend Billy Graham has lived this long without Miss Ruth Ann. Lester Sumrall went home about six months after his wife did because he, he just missed her. Might have been a year, but it was very quickly. Brother Hagin went home before Miss Aretha. But uh, we need help. But men, if we're not serving God, we don't need, we're just looking to have sex? Is that what we're looking for? No, we need a spouse because we're serving God and God brings it together in this beautiful thing. If you've got God in the middle and He brings you together, then you have this beautiful sandwich called godly marriage. But if you're over here doing your own thing and she's over here doing her own thing and you come together, it's a hollow marriage. It's got to be around the kingdom. That's how God designed it. He's the inventor of it. He's designed to be in the middle of it. Point five, God made a woman for Adam. As a woman, you must allow God to make you for your husband. So that one's for the ladies. Are you allowing right now in your singlehood God to make you, to form you, to build you? He wants to build you. He wants to add things to you. He wants to take things out of you. Are you submitting, talk about car terms, are you submitting, are you on the rack of God in his garage allowing him to build you for that man he has in store for you? Like we said in our previous lesson, what do you have to offer? You're looking for Prince Charming, but are you the princess or are you the toad? Are you the princess or are you the ugly stepsister? <laughs> are you Cinderella or are you the one with the wart on the nose? You've got to allow God to make you. Point six, God presents the woman to Adam, to the Adam. Adam was still busy working for God, not working to find a woman. Men, we're to be busy serving God. And when we turn around, whoa, there she is. As I explained or shared within the last lesson, I went to Indianapolis to obey the will of God in Bible school. I did not go there seeking God. Back then, they didn't have that abomination called ChristianSingles.com. I went there trusting God because did you know Christians are to walk by 
faith. And if we stay in the perfect will of God, in that divine life He has planned for us, our spouse will be out there. But if we get off track trying to chase her or him, we'll never find her or him. You'll find her or him when you quit looking for her or him. I moved to Indianapolis not looking for a wife. But two of my pastors said, we pretty much knew in our heart, when you go there, you'd find her. We just knew by the Spirit of God. As your pastor, we knew, I knew, you would meet your wife there. I just knew it. I didn't know it. I was just, God said, go to Lester Summerall's Bible School. And I went and I meet my wife. And I'm so thankful. But if you're not willing to obey and trust God and put this stuff way out there, you'll just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Adam was still busy working for God, not working to find a woman. Our society, we, we basically, when you're born into America, you have your whole life planned out for you. High school sports, of course, baby Einstein, because everybody's got to be an Einstein. Instrument when you're four, five, six. Second language when you're ten. High school sports, college scholarship. Get to college, play sports, get a scholarship. Find your mate, graduate, maybe grad school, get married. Make a bunch of money. Maybe in your late 20s you have it. Your whole life, where's God in all that? You never bothered to ask God what He wanted. Your parents pick out your degree for you. You're going to be a doctor, an engineer, something to make some good money. We don't want you to be a school teacher, an artist, or a geologist. There's no money in that. Wait, did we forget about Jehovah? Did we forget about He that formed us? Point seven. Adam gladly received and accepted the woman. Ladies, you can't make a man want you. Adam had to receive her. So quit putting on the perfume and dressing all floozy. And those of you present don't do that, but some do. You're trying to make a guy like you. I frustrated my wife because I, she liked me a lot. Her heart was set on me. I was wishy-washy. I, 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 was, I was serious about this thing and I just couldn't decide it or not. But she couldn't make me like her anymore. The Lord presented her to me and it was up to me to say, Lord, I, yeah. My mind was just fickle. Sometimes your minds are fickle. God has the person for you right in front of you and he's not good enough or she's not good enough. You can't do anything. You can't go changing yourself. Too many young ladies tailor who they are for the man. I know of one woman, they, her testimony is if she dates a bodybuilder, she gets into fitness. She dates a motorcycle, she buys the leather. She dates a martial artist, she starts taking Taekwondo. She, takes, she dates an artist, she buys paintbrushes. You are double-minded. You're fickle. We don't even know who the real you is. But see, she's trying to market herself. You market yourself by being a godly woman of power, faith, and chastity, and integrity, and purity. That's how you market yourself. That's, who you, that's what you want to attract. Don't put out the vibe to pick up trash. Ladies, you can't make a man want you. He either does or he doesn't. Eight, they were wed in the garden. That's where God brought them together. So guess what? You get married in the garden. Not the justice of the peace. Not with the captain of the deck of the love boat. You've met each other in the garden of God. Or maybe it's the mission field. Maybe it's the mission outpost. But you get married where you met. In the house of God. Maybe not the church you met. My wife and I met at an Assemblies of God church. We got married in a Methodist church. We pastor a non-denominational church. The point is you do it in the house of God to honor what you stand for. I am 100% against Christians going to the JOP, Justice of the Peace. I think that's so dishonorable. You're going to go to some politician who got voted in and have him consecrate your marriage and you're going to forget about the God that made you, who you claim brought you your man? That's dishonorable. That's such a disgusting, that's a slap in the face of Jehovah. 
Go to the JOP. It's immature. Point nine. They continued to work in the garden. So even after they got married, they didn't quit the garden and go do something else and use God's church as a singles dating recruiter. Some folks come to church to meet somebody. That's not the right reason. So what we get from that is you stay and continue to work in the garden. Once you get married in the garden, you stay in the garden. Brett and Bobby got married, met in this church or served in this church. They got married in this church. They served this church. Frank and Sarah Ogilvie got married in this church. They continue to serve in this church. Jeff and Jenny Harris got married in this church. They continue to serve in this church. My wife and I got married. Marlon, Mr. Marlon performed the wedding. We still serve in this church and on and on. Earl and Susan, Marlon and Amy, all these established couples in our local church in their 30s and 40s and 50s. Daryl and Teresa. That's how you do it. And the blessing of God is upon those families. If he or she is not laboring for God in his garden, i.e. the church, they are off limits to you. That's a high standard, but I like them. I like high standards. Just for whatever it's worth, I'm looking at buying a deer hunting rifle right now. And it is certified sub-MOA, sub-MOA, sub-minute of arc. And what that basically says is at 100 yards, every bullet is guaranteed to be in less than an inch. That's a high tolerance. A minute of arc, one inch for 100 yards or a degree on a 360 degrees. Sub-MOA. That, you pay extra money for that kind of certification, but you're always on target. At 100 yards, every bullet is guaranteed. Your, your inaccuracies aside, but you set it on a perfectly still stand. That, what it talked about is how well that barrel was machined and bored out and rifled. Not every rifle has that, but you pay extra money for it because when you release the bullet, you want it to hit your deer. You want it to hit your target. I like high tolerances. I don't want a gun that's guaranteed 20 MOA. As in, every bullet you shoot, you're guaranteed to be within 20 inches. I could totally miss my target. High standards are tough, they're tight, but you're guaranteed to be spot on. And this is a high standard to say, if he or she is not serving in the church, they're off limits to you. That's a high standard, but that will keep you safe. It will truthfully, truthfully keep you safe. This may be a staunch approach, but you won't go wrong if you keep it in the garden. Now, some of us, you're listening, you didn't do this. No condemnation. Uh, some great men and women of God who have gone on to do great things in Jesus, they didn't follow this standard, but this is a new generation and God is bringing out things to tighten the standard. I've taught this, many lesson, this lesson many times now, and every time I've taught it, people have said, I wish I'd heard this 30 years ago. I wish I'd heard this 20 years ago. And I say, no condemnation. God was merciful in ignorance. Even Paul said, I killed folks, but God had mercy for I did it ignorantly. You didn't kill anybody. You just didn't court right. But this is biblical. So let's look at some other Bible examples because I want to show you. That's the Adam and Eve is the first example, but this all points one through nine. They repeat themselves in three other marriages in the Bible. That'll make a total of four marriages that repeat the exact same nine points. So let's look at this. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Let's see how they met. Abraham said to his servant, Abraham was Isaac's daddy, and he was wanting uh, to get uh, his son a wife because he knows how wonderful marriage is. And Abraham said to his servant, Abraham was getting older. He was obviously 100 when Isaac was born, so now his son's of age. So Isaac's maybe 25, so his dad's 125. So he sends his servant out. He says, Thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanite. 
So there's that high standard, no heathen, no Gentiles, among whom I dwell. He says, I live in a dirty nation. My son will not marry one of their daughters. But thou shalt go to my country, get among the church, and to my kindred, get among the Christians, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. This, so in the story, he goes back to where he's from to get of the kinsfolk of Abraham, the, the family of faith. And the servant prays, and he says, Lord, how shall I know who you've prepared for my master, Isaac? He said, I know, Lord, let her be the one that comes out to water the livestock. She's a servant. And let her ask me for water, or if I would like some water, and I'll know it's her. So the servant prays for direction to select the damsel that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. Notice there's an appointed one for you. That thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. It included the criteria of a servant's heart and hard work. So one of the things he says is that, number one, this woman, that when she comes out, she's going to be a servant and she's going to offer me water. In fact, she's going to offer me to drink water before the livestock can, even before her livestock. So two of the things we see in Isaac's future wife that the Lord is looking for is, number one, she's a servant, and number two, she's a hard worker. But when she comes out there, she's taking care of livestock. She's working in the, in the, she's a shepherd. She's caring for God's sheep. She's in the house of God, we could say. She's serving a local church, allegorically. You also note that Isaac's called a servant. He said that thou hast appointed for thy servant, Isaac. Isaac was called a servant. So there we go, gentlemen. If you're not a servant in the house of God, you don't need to be fishing for a wife. What, what are you going to use one for? God designed marriage to advance the kingdom, not your own selfish needs. So we're seeing the same thing over and over again. Isaac serving, Rebecca serving. They come together because they were both serving God and they were both servants and they're hard workers. Note that Isaac was also called a servant. The day Isaac laid eyes on Rebekah, he had come from the well Lehorai, meaning the living one seeing me, where he had been praying. Isaac wasn't looking for a, a wife. His dad went to find him a wife. He was busy fellowshipping with God. He was called a servant. He was taking care of his daddy's sheep. And all of a sudden, supernaturally by the divine hand of God, God brings him this beautiful woman who, when God found her, she was serving her dad with his livestock. And so the Lord brought this couple together, both of them servants, both of them serving their fathers, both of them of the household of faith, both of them praying. God brings them together. It's the same pattern we saw in Genesis chapter 3. Look at Rachel, Jacob's wife. So now Isaac and Rebekah have a son, Jacob. And Rebe Rebekah doesn't want Jacob to marry trashy women, floozy women, Gentile women. Jacob's mother complained of the worldly girls. Gentlemen, we've got to watch out for the worldly girls. And she says, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. That's just all the heathen women around them. And basically says, don't let Jacob marry a heathen girl. It will break my heart. Boys, you've got to know if you marry a floozy, it'll break mama's heart. Girls, if you marry a trashy man who abuses you, I tell you what, the thought of a man abusing my daughter one day, you'll hear of me in the news. I will, I will put him in the hospital. It won't happen. We're already praying for the boy. He may not even be born yet. We pray for him every day. I will so put the smack hurt on somebody, I'll break bones. So don't go marrying some abusive guy or some heathen. This mama's heart says, it will break my heart if he marries a trashy woman. 
So Isaac blessed Jacob first and then commanded him, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. You've got to keep it in the family. You've got to keep it in the family of faith. Keep it in the church. Go to the house of Bethuel. That means man of God. So you're going to marry a woman who's from a man of God. It's all allegory over and over again. And get a wife there. When Jacob first sees Rachel, she is tending her father's sheep. Look at that. She's serving in the kingdom. Rebecca was serving in the kingdom, and here Rachel's serving in the kingdom. Eve was serving in the kingdom. And you know what? Their husbands, before they were married, they were serving in the kingdom. When Jacob first sees Rachel, she is tending her father's sheep. Jacob rolls the stone off the well and waters the sheep for her. So they instantly start serving in the flock together. That's where they started courting. At the well of water, Jesus is the well of water, watering God's sheep. Beautiful allegory for the local church. That's where they met. That's how they met. And then he went and sneaked a kiss. And the Bible says when he kissed her, he wept because he knew this was the one God has for me. When's the last time a man met the woman God had for him and wept? He said, my God, this is her. My God, this is her. Wow. Lord, you brought her to me. That's pretty awesome. So far now, three examples. He's working and serving, praying. She's working, serving, and praying. And God brings them together. Two out of the three so far, it's dealing with the flock. The first one was the garden because there weren't any sheep yet, or they weren't in the garden. Look at the third, uh, the third one in this set, but the fourth and final example, Zipporah, Moses' wife. Moses, the great preacher. Zipporah was a preacher's daughter. Her daddy's name was Jethro, and he was the high priest of Midian. He was called a, high pri- a priest of the Most High. So he was, a, he was a Christian, we would say. Moses married into the ministry. That's a really good way to do it. He married the the man of God's daughter. When Moses met Zipporah, he was on the run, but she was serving her father by watering his sheep. What? Three out of four, the women are serving their fathers, taking care of the sheep, watering. All three of these. Now, Now think, is that coincidence that every time these patriarchs meet their wife, they are watering their father's sheep at the well of life. That tells me, gentlemen, where we meet our wives. Taking care of God's sheep at the well of life. I met my wife. She was taking care of God's precious sheep, her daddy, her father in heaven's sheep in the local church, the well of life, the well of living water. Wives, women, if you want to be a wife to a man of God, you must be faithful to help take care of your father in heaven, his sheep, at the well of living water, the local church. And God will make sure your man comes and finds you there. Think about that. Three out of, these are the first four marriages in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah's marriage is not spoken of. They were heathen before God established his covenant. But Adam and Eve, and then these first three marriages, these these next three, all have the same pattern. That's not coincidence. That gives a strong allegorical doctrine how we do this thing. It sure beats the standard America doesn't have. When he met her, she was serving her father by watering his sheep. Moses helped her and her sisters by defending them from rude shepherds, and he drew water out for them. So what can we learn from these examples? First of all, you must must let God make you. That's what singlehood is all about. Number two, God selects your spouse. Now, now I'm not of the doctrine that there's only one person for you. 
I don't believe there, there's just that one perfect person. I don't believe that because it, Pastor Vaughn pointed out years ago, what if, what if Richmond is going to marry Sally? And that's the, that's the only person for her. What if Sally rebels against God before they can meet? God can't come up with somebody else. The New Testament says, in a sense, if, if you're loosed, if your wife has divorced you or your husband's divorced you, you can be remarried, but only in the Lord. The Lord will provide somebody else. So we're not of the mindset that that's because that's a heathenistic approach. Uh, this is my soulmate. This is the, the one the cosmos has ordained for me. That's goofy. But there is that one for you. How does that all work out? I don't know. I believe Manda is the only one for me. Because I can't imagine anybody else. But had she not served God, the Lord would not let me be wifeless. He would have raised up somebody else. Does that make sense? So we're not of the doctrine. There's only one person out there for me. But on this present course for your life, there's one person for you. And you've just got to be faithful and trust God. If you'll keep serving his sheep at his well, he will come along. If you'll keep serving God at his well with his sheep, you'll be brought to where she's at, gentlemen. Or she might be brought to where you're at. Number two, God selects your spouse. Number three, allow leadership to help you in your courtship. Abraham and Isaac both had input into whom their sons married. Let leadership help you. Now, we don't want to control you. We don't, we're not looking to tell you. We don't arrange marriages. That's a pagan practice. But even as a pastor, even a good mama can tell you she ain't good for you. Even a daddy can say, honey, I don't like this boy. I don't feel good about him. And a pastor, especially if I'm the one doing the ceremony, I can judge the thing and say, this is not God. Or you're not ready. Or this is lust. And I have told folks, I'm not doing the wedding. I don't agree with this. Let leadership help you. Submit your intentions to the word and to godly leadership. Point number four, you must be working in the kingdom of God. If you're not working in the kingdom of God, you don't qualify for marriage. Now, you can be a pagan and get married, but we're not pagans. I'm dealing with born-again saints who claim they want Jesus. My personal doctrine and my strict opinion from these four examples, if you're not serving in the kingdom, you don't deserve a spouse. Why would you need one? If they're designed to be a helpmeet to serve in the garden, if you're not serving in the garden, you don't need help. You know why I don't have a chainsaw? I don't cut down trees. If I started cutting down trees, I'd need a chainsaw. You know why I don't have a fire truck? I don't put out fires. You get what you have need of. We have totally perverted marriage. Marriage is designed to advance the kingdom, to see, to bring God's kingdom into the earth through holy matrimony, through being fruitful and multiplying. And so you can see what God intended, family, from the very beginning. Point number five, you want to qualify for and attract a fellow laboring servant. I mean, I'm going to read that again. You want to qualify for and attract a fellow laboring servant. I am very in a sense, hard on my wife because I don't stop and I don't let her stop. We have too much to do. I could not be married to a lazy woman. My wife, in some regards, does more work than I do because a lot of my work is behind a desk in prayer and in studying and typing. She does a lot more manual work than I do. And that's one of the things I told the Lord. I said, Lord, I want my wife to want you more than anything. She lives for the kingdom. And that's what I got. I don't know how I could pastor and do what God's called me to do with a lazy woman who doesn't pray, who doesn't want God. It'd be miserable. I, I would be so hindered. As it is, we just run together and we run fast. 
that's what I wanted. That's what I qualified for. That's what I attracted. And that's what was attracted to me. I've never had, you know, skanky women, floozy women, they'll be attracted to you, but when they get close enough to you, they don't like what you are. They can't hang with it. You want to ask yourself, what are you attracting? We've taught that many times. What in you, just generally speaking, hypothetically speaking, what in you attracts the floozy women? There'll always be some kind of floozy who wants to try to do something weird. Every great man of God has had that. But if you're habitually drawn to floozy women and floozy women to you, what's in you that draws that? Or if trashy men or dirtbags are drawn to you, you've got to ask yourself, what's drawing these weirdos to me? And clean it up. Just things to ask yourself. Do not desire a lazy individual. I would tell you, ladies, make sure your man has a job. Do not be married to a man who does not have a strong work ethic. Marriage is a garden, and it takes hard work. Not just God's garden, but marriage itself is a garden. And to have a fruitful marriage, you're constantly working to cultivate the garden. If you don't work in the garden, the garden is fruitless. It's just a bunch of weeds and sticks. Point six, final point. You don't marry the Canaanite heathen. Don't even look at them, gentlemen. Samson always had an eye for the Philistine women. He loved many of them, and he died blind, powerless, and a prisoner. So this concludes our second lesson on singlehood, entitled From Interested to Courtship. We might change the title of it and call it Where and How Do I Meet Them? But this has been our second lesson. Hopefully you've received something. Father, I thank you for our time here. May these lessons bless your singles for many years to come. May it raise the standard and elevate the bar for those that want a beautiful life in Christ. Father, bring these singles their future mate, but Lord, let them be perfected and formed by you between now and then. Lord, I call them all blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.